Show me the money. This is the MoneyWeb Be a Better Investor podcast. Picking the brains of professional investors on their investment strategies, successes, and mistakes. Your host, Rake Fanica. Welcome to this week's edition of the Be a Better Investor podcast. My name is Rijk van Niekerk and in this podcast series I speak to finance professionals about their investment journeys and why they chose a career in managing other people's money. We will also discuss how they manage their own money and the idea is to find a few nuggets of wisdom to assist amateur retail investors to become better investors. My guest today is Kahisu Mahura. Now, he is the Mahura in Gradich Mahura Investments, and he's a certified financial planner, and he has been in the wealth management industry for nearly three decades, so he has seen it all. Kahisu, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's start off. Give us a bit of background. Where did you grow up, and when were you first exposed to the investment world? Good morning, Rick, and good morning to your listeners. Thank you very much for the invite to come and join you. It's an absolute honor. You're a true legend yourself in this industry, so thank you very much for... for Not always for the best reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for inviting me. So, Rick, I was born and bred in Mafikeng in the Northwest. I grew up there, went to school there, and kind of finished off my high school in Pretoria. And then I went off to study in Cape Town. I did this on a bursary from Old Mutual. And, uh, of course, one of the requirements is if they sponsor you at the end of your studies, you need to go and work there. So my entire working career has been in financial services. And when you're at Old Mutual, as we used to call it at the time in Cape Town, the University of Pinelands, because that's where almost, I think, 90% of people in financial services who've been there for more than 20 years would have worked there. And that's where really I got exposed to the different forms of investments. I started in the life side of the business. And then I joined the investment side. There was a business called Investment Frontiers. We launched that in 1999. And then I worked in Old Mutual Unit Trusts. And then I went and worked at Coronation Fund Managers, which is one of the leading asset management companies. And then I went back to Old Mutual. And then we started Gradage Mahura Investments. So literally my whole life has been around investing and financial services in general. So it started with a bursary and that was the compass of your professional life virtually yeah absolutely even as a child you know I was called as a little bit entrepreneurial I was always looking for ways to make money save the money make more money out of that money so that's kind of always been my mind is how do I turn the one cents into two cents into three cents but there's an interesting correlation between being entrepreneurial and using money in a business to try and make more you know turning the one cent into two cent And then also investing in companies, especially equities, where you give the money to someone else, a big entrepreneur, and trusting that person to turn the one cent, maybe not into two cents, but into five or ten cents. When did you first think, listen, let me give my money to somebody else, a professional asset manager to try and invest in an individual company to try and grow the money you have? Yeah, I mean, Rick, as you said, I mean, the correlation really between entrepreneurship and investing for me is much more the understanding of money and the respect for money. And that, I think, is often where most people get it wrong. Some people don't understand how much a rent is worth. you know. And I think that's where a lot of people destroy value. That's where a lot of people never really get to build a portfolio that makes 
a lot of things because they don't understand the risk that one takes with that one rent for the return that they are going to receive. One needs to kind of first understand money, how money works, and then have a kind of a respect for it because that's going to be a way that's what's going to help you to get to that point. So what I mean by that is, and this leads to your question, is at what point did I decide to give my money to someone else? So one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned, and I'm not sure where this gentleman is, I was 25 years old, I was working at Old Mutual, there was a gentleman called Dave Hudson. At the time, you know, I still had a bit of a student loan that I had to pay. I just started working in a couple of years. Interest rates, I think, were sitting at uh, 25%. Inflation was 18%. And one of the things that Dave taught me was I must always put my money where the biggest return is. So in other words, if I had a rent at the end of the month and I had a student loan of 25% to pay, given taking that money, enjoying it, partying with it, or even buying whatever else I thought was an investment, if the return I was going to get on that money, the joy I was going to get that money, was not greater than the 25% I was paying on my loan, that's where my money should go. So that's almost the first lesson that one should actually learn. And then I started to find out that I don't know how to do this. So in the last year of varsity, actually, I knew there was a small companies were running in the market at that point in time. And I went out, I took some of my money that was to pay the fees. I went and bought the small companies fund, the unit trust fund from Cyphers. I don't know if you still remember that company. I do. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, Old Mutual took it over. But Old Mutual took it over. But the beauty about it is I put that money in. I put in 10,000 rand. By the end of the year, I had 17,000 rand. And I thought I was the greatest investor of all time. The following year, when I was working with Old Mutual, the guys told me that small companies were the highest risk in the market because the year later, that sector dropped about 20 to 30%. So I could easily have left with seven to 8,000 rand. My heart almost stopped because while I was lucky to have made that amount of money, I could easily have lost half my money because I didn't know what I was doing. And that's, to answer your question directly, that's when I knew I had to find experts to help me invest because I got lucky, but I could have gotten very unlucky had I not found the right people to help me from that point going forward. I like your statement that people don't understand the value of a rand and it is a lesson sometimes you need to learn. Like you've said, you've made money on a risky investment without taking the risk into consideration when you started. So what advice would you have for a 23-year-old version of yourself start entering the job market, having a bit of disposable income and who want to invest, want to start to build a a wealth, maybe legacy for their future families regarding risk? How should they approach it? So to me, the first thing is people must actually take investing as a profession, if I can put it to you like that. In other words, if you get sick, you don't try and fix yourself. You go to a doctor to fix you. If you get into a legal problem, you don't try and go to court and represent yourself. You go find a professional to help you. It is exactly the same with investing. So the guys today are so much luckier because there's so many professionals out there that can assist them. So the first thing going to be go and find somebody who's qualified to help you because you don't have to go and make the same mistakes that all of us made when we didn't know who to go to. Go and find someone. The second lesson that they should learn is, as you're saying, risk has got a scale. Okay, There's low risk and then there's high risk. 
So if they learn anything today from this conversation, if they can just learn three what we call four what we call asset classes, that there's investing in cash. It's like putting your money in a bank account or buying money market instruments. There's putting your money in bonds, like lending your money to the government, for instance, or to other companies to grow their portfolios. And then there's property. And even in property, there's like three different sectors. There'll be residential, there'll be commercial, there'll be industrial that they could invest in. And then there's equities. You know, I'm not going to go into the more sophisticated sub-private equity and hedge funds and all of that. But if you just learn those things to say, on that scale, the higher you go up on that scale, over the long term, the better the return you can get, but the more risk you take in the short term. Okay, so if you're investing in shares, in one year you could lose a lot of money, but over a 20-year period you're probably going to make the most money out of that. And then you go into property, down the scale, into bonds, and then into cash. Because once you understand those principles, how you start mixing and matching those will help you to understand this is how much risk I'm taking over a one-year period, this is the return I can expect. Once you've got those principles right, when you review your portfolio, you review it in that context. You just said give your money to professionals because I think professionals are really good at asset allocation and I think that's what you were referring to, you know, picking the right allocation of money to those four asset classes you've mentioned. But what about the bold and confident 23-year-old who wants to actually buy his or her own shares? They want to build their own portfolio, maybe in addition to a pension fund or a retirement annuity because they are interested in it and they would like to be good at it because the returns can be very rewarding. How do you think that person should approach a discretionary investment portfolio? In other words, they use their own money after tax money to go and buy investments for whatever reason. I'll answer you in two ways. I've got my own discretionary portfolio that I manage and I'm sure we'll get to having a conversation about that. And I do it mainly just for my own and this is the wrong word, but more for my own entertainment than it is for <laughs> fabulous returns. Because I know I don't have the time to analyze shares at the deep level. So the first question is a young person who's vibrant and wants to go out and buy shares. Let's go take the 380 shares on the JSE. Firstly, how do you pick which one you're going to put your money into? How do you pick when to buy, when to sell? when to buy it back, and when to sell it. Because these are the intricacies that go into deciding. So you go into the resources sector. Who are you going to buy? BHP, Anglos, Implants, who are you going to buy? And what's the rationale that you're going to use to buy that particular stock? And then, which other shares are you going to combine it with? And why? You know, when you go into the retail side, are you buying ShopRite? Are you buying Pick and Pay? Are you buying Woolies? Are you buying all of them? So how do you do it? This is where the professionals come in, okay? One of the easiest ways to do it is to actually buy the index itself, you know? So you go and buy the top 40 or the Aussie or the Swix, whatever the index is, because that way you don't necessarily have to pick the shares yourself. The index will pick it for you. And then all of those companies, you're essentially investing in all of those companies at the same time. And then the market gives you the return. But the truth about it is you're buying the bad and the good, you know, you don't have to make the decision yourself. You go and allow the professionals to do it. History has shown us, stats has shown us, that even the professionals, as good as they are, out of every 10 shares that they buy, the good ones get six right and four wrong. 
<laughs> and now if you don't even know that, you'll probably get a two right and eight wrong in that portfolio. So in my personal portfolio, which I don't sit with on a minute by minute on a daily basis to check, as I sit now, I'm 15% down. Since when? Over what period? Since two years ago, okay? But before then, when the market was doing pretty well, because remember when COVID came down, kind of the markets went down. My personal portfolio hasn't recovered that much. But the portfolio where my pension fund is sitting with, I've given to experts, that's recovered by more than 10, 15%. But my own personal portfolio, which I don't look at on a daily basis, minute by minute, has not done as well as the professionals have done. That's an interesting perspective. So you don't think of moving your portfolio over to a professional investor you still want to do it because you find it entertaining which is an interesting choice of word maybe it's not uh, you know you want to have skin in the game because you learn and I think many people do that because the moment you have your own money in a company you read up about the company or the industry it is in and that is also a benefit because you know more you learn more. Greg I must quantify this when I say my own portfolio I'm talking about a couple of tens of thousand rands. I'm not talking about hundreds of thousands. Right? This is really a tiny portfolio. It's got nothing to do with the bulk of my wealth, my pension fund, my retirement money, those amounts of money. And I really call it that so that I can just, it kind of keeps me on my toes and want me to do the things that you talking about. So that's not the kind of portfolio I'm going to give to an asset manager, a portfolio manager to manage for me. It is just purely for me to say, okay, look, I've got Tugela in my portfolio. I've got NetBank in my portfolio. Let me go kind of read up. You know, when the results come out, I'll go and read about them. But I'm not going to go dig deep. I'm not going to get financials over five years and do a spreadsheet and analyze the return on equity and all of those things to that level. of. It is just purely for me to keep in the market. It is so insignificant as a proportion of my entire wealth that is not even worth talking about as part of my portfolio, so to speak. I appreciate that. And I think that many professionals, finance professionals, understand exactly their limitations in picking winners. But on the other hand, as you've said earlier, if you have a winner-loser ratio of six and four, then you are doing really well. And you're talking about professional investors here who are analyzing all of those company results and they only can, on average, hit or buy six winners, which by definition means they've got four wrong. But tell us about the few thousand rand you have in your discretionary portfolio. What is in there and and what is your thinking behind the choices? So for me, when I started building the portfolio, okay, and I've changed it over the years, and I did it very rudimentary way before I even joined the profession kind of managing other people's money. And the way I started was, where do I spend my money every month? Because those companies are clearly kind of doing well. Where do I shop? I shop at Willys, so I bought Willys, you know? And I went about and say, when you look at the infrastructure that's been built, so where do I bank? You know, I, I banked at NetBank, so I go and buy a NetBank share. So that's kind of how I did it. I just looked at my monthly expenditure and knew, one, I had to buy stocks in different sectors. I'm not going to buy everything in just one sector. And I was looking at the development that was happening. Who were the construction companies that we're building? What else do I have there at the moment? Coronation. I went and worked at Coronation Asset Management. I knew the business. I worked there. I knew what they were doing. So I was buying the shares themselves. I had a PPC. You know, when construction was happening, I mean, it's, it's a horrible share for me at the moment. I've lost a lot of money in it. But it's set in my portfolio for a very long time. I've never really taken it out and put it back in. So it's seen very highs at, at, at 14, 16 rand a share. It's, I think it's down, oof, 60 cents now, I think, or something like that. It's doing incredibly badly. So it was a very rudimentary way of putting it together. 
But the truth about it, Rick, is that even that, even that start is better than not starting. Because the key is getting to the discipline of taking a portion of your money and putting it into the market. And even this portfolio that I have now, that's down 15% over the last two years. I know if I leave that money for another 10 years, I'll probably make money of it. So it's a time and a measurement issue that's sitting in there. So those are the kind of stocks that I have in that portfolio at the moment. It's about six or seven shares at best. But as a black person, I'm also allowed to buy BEE shares. And that's where I've put a quite a big portion of, well, not big, a portion of my money. So I've got Putuma Nati shares. I've got Yeboye two shares. I've got Sasol Inzalo shares. I've got Sasol BE shares. So if I put those two together, I've got a fairly nice diversified portfolio of telecoms, entertainment. I've got resources with Sasol on the BE side. So when I look at my share portfolio, that's the kind of things that are sitting in that particular space. Now for the question everybody's waiting for, most definitely me. What has been your best investment ever? The one you think, wow, I got that one right and I made a, a lot of money. By far, the Putumanati shares that I bought from uh, MultiChoice. 2006, maybe it was, when it came out, a 10 rand a share. That thing went as high as 188 rand a share at some point. It's come down just over 100 rand now. But the dividend yield is unbelievable. So just the return I've made on the dividends far outweighs anything else that I've ever received. I've made my money multiple times. I've had to get out of the stock at some stage because I had issues in my life and I came back into it. So if I look at the capital growth and the dividend that I've received over that period of time, by far the best investment I've ever made is that one. It has performed extremely well. I just want to pick up on the dividend. Have you ever bought a share just because you expect a significant dividend? Or were you always looking at maybe the capital appreciation part of an investment? You know, I've always tried to look at both of them. For instance, when you look at a cash generative business like a coronation, you know, these are asset managers. They don't have big assets to purchase. They've got very light balance sheets. So a lot of the money goes straight into a dividend payout. You know, so that was one. And when I looked at some of the resource guys as well, so I'm sorry, I've got Kumba in my portfolio as well. You know, Kumba had a very nice dividend yield for quite a period of time, not doing so well at this point in time. But a dividend is definitely a very strong consideration in my mind when I run my little portfolio and I try and look out for that when I want to buy the unit trusts and the portfolios that are managed by the asset managers. And what was the biggest dog you've ever bought? The worst investment you've ever made? Oh, my friends are going to kill me. I must say PPC at the moment. That's where I lost. I even bought it with a BE discount, but even with a BE discount, it's doing horribly at this point in time. But the truth of the matter is I'm going to hold on to that share for a couple of reasons, is that at some point we're going to have to get this country right. At some point we're going to have to start building or rebuilding our infrastructure. So I know it's one I'm going to hold out on because over a period of time it will get itself right. They will get their own internal issues correct and I'm sure it will come around and we'll start making money of it over that period. But it's been my most painful one and then um, Putumanati has been my biggest smile keeper. Well, fantastic. And thank you for sharing your insights with us today, Kahiso. And yeah, I think you've got a very sober approach. And 
hopefully young people listen to you and maybe not go all in on one or two shares. There is definitely a myth behind the madness. It's not easy, and I think people need to appreciate it. It's not easy to make money on investment markets. You need to follow a formula, Mm -hmm. have a clearly defined strategy, and if you are not confident that you'll be able to execute, rather give your money to a professional. Absolutely. I would really say to the young people, if you want to start and you're young enough, get yourself an asset manager. There's a few out there. Go read up about them. Get yourself into a unit trust portfolio either an equity unit trust portfolio or what we call a high equity balanced fund where they'll buy all those asset classes on your behalf. Just put money in there on a regular basis. What you will see would happen. If you're 23 today, what your life would look like when you're 33 and by just putting in 500 rand a month consistently as a minimum, you'll have a huge, huge portfolio that will take you to a very long place in your life in the future. Thanks, Kegisa. That was Kegisa Mahura. He is from Gradage Mahura Investments. And thanks for sharing your insights with us today. Show me the money. That was the Money Web. Be a better investor podcast with Rake for Kneecap. Thanks for listening. Catch up and listen to all the Money Web podcasts on moneyweb.co.za or the app. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.